Hello, and welcome to the Feminine Genius Podcast. This is a podcast that celebrates all women of God and their unique genius. I'm your host, Rachel Wong. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Feminine Genius Podcast. Today, I'm joined by a fellow sister in Christ and good friend, Angela Wong. Angela is a missionary with Catholic Christian Outreach. She now spends her days sharing Christ with students on campus at the University of British Columbia. But Angela admits that God needed to pursue her a bit before she came to call the faith her own. And together we talk about Catholic femininity, feminism, and how she sees the feminine genius manifest through her work as a campus missionary. Hi, Angela. Hey, Rachel. How's it going? I usually ask that. Great. How are you? I'm doing well. It's a beautiful sunny day in Vancouver today. So So thank you for joining me inside and we will venture outside afterwards. But again, thank you so much for sharing some of your time with me. I wanted to start by, I guess, sharing a little story. Angela and I share the same last name. Mm-hmm. We're not related. We're not related. But there was one time, it was actually very recently at spring retreat, where I said, that's my sister. And then you had no idea who said that. So you're like, I'm an only child. <laughs> that was, that caught me off guard. But <laughs> I'm glad we're related by the same last name in a kind of right funny way. And also through Jesus. Through Jesus, too. That's so, great. so that's really cool. Yeah. So I wanted to start by asking if you wouldn't mind sharing a little bit about your personal faith journey. Mm-hmm. and how you got here. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So I was born in Toronto, Ontario. Go Raptors and go Leafs. So I was born in Toronto, Ontario, only child to two parents. So my dad's originally from Guelph, Ontario, and my mom is from Hong Kong. And what's really cool is that she got baptized when she was in university. She felt called to, yeah, become baptized because she was she had gone to Catholic school, but she loved the social justice aspect of the church. So that's why she got baptized. And as a result, in order for me to go to Catholic school in Ontario, one of the rules is actually one of your parents has to be baptized or your child has to be baptized. So my parents decided, long story short, just get Angela baptized and she can go to Catholic school. So that's kind of how I got involved in the Catholic faith. I took all the sacraments, but after my first confirmation, we stopped going to mass as a family. So my only contact of the Catholic faith was through my high school. Um, I wasn't going to Mass regularly. I didn't really see much of a point of why we're doing certain things. But in university, I had a realization that, yeah, I'm really lonely going from a really small high school to university. I went to Queen's University. That's about 22,000 undergraduates. So from a school of 600 people to 22,000 undergrads, it's a big jump. And what's really cool is when I was preparing to go to Queen's, I was looking on the club's directory, and I found the Queen's Chinese Catholic Community, also known as QCCC. Um, And that was something that actually drew me back into the Catholic faith. They were the group that I would walk 20 minutes from my res to the cathedral in Kingston Mm -hmm. and just hang out with them for 20 minutes after mass and then walk back to my res because I didn't want to spend money on Vietnamese pho. Not Chinese food? Nope. So shout out to Mekong in Kingston because they're they're actually so great. They're so delicious food. 
But yeah, that was something that brought me back to the Catholic faith. And I remember on a retreat in my second year, I remember going to the confessional and telling the priest, hey, I I really want to go to mass. I really want to, I really love this aspect, but it's hard because my parents don't recognize that. So the priest actually gave me a mini ultimatum in a sense. He said, Angela, you need to make this your own if you really want to do this. So um, in the summer of my second year going into third year, I'd actually walk to mass Um, I walked back from Mass. I was very fortunate. My dad would give me a ride to Mass, but then I'd walk back 20, 30 minutes um, on my own for about the whole summer when I was back home in Toronto. So it was uh, what I joke about, my walk with Jesus in a sense. Mm -hmm. I'm just really fortunate to to have the opportunity to still go to Mass. But I went to World Youth Day a few years later, World Youth Day 2016 in Poland. And that was when I had my missionary conversion in a sense that Mm -hmm. I really realized that, "Ah, actually, I really want to share this more openly. I'd kind of gone through a plateau Um, and taking leadership in the Chinese Catholic community Mm -hmm. at Queen's. But I really wanted to grow and share that. So I started getting more involved in Catholic Christian outreach at that time. I had taken some faith studies here and there Mm -hmm. because they have a presence at Queen's. It encouraged me to share my faith and really grow in that and actually challenged me to lead discovery in my final year of studies. And that brought me to Vancouver shortly after. Mm -hmm. After I graduated, I joined CCO as a staff full time. And I've been working out in Vancouver for the no, beginning of my third year. Remind me again what, what you studied while you were at Queen's. Yeah, so I studied biology. Mm-hmm. And what's really crazy is um, from a young age, I wanted to be a pediatrician. So I always wanted to help people. That was my main goal. But first year university made me realize I don't want to fight all these students in the life science program or the pre-med stream. I don't want to fight them and compete with them. So I still found that I loved studying about the world. I love biology. I thought I was going to be a researcher for a long time. I studied fish. I studied plants. But those things didn't bring me a lot of joy, actually. I remember going into labs on Saturdays. I would do six-hour labs alone, mm-hmm. just trying to analyze what I was doing for my thesis, and things weren't working out. And I realized, hey, this isn't actually bringing me fulfillment. And I think that's when CCO came into the picture, which is pretty crazy. There was a priest at the cathedral who I messaged immediately in the middle of my thesis saying, hey, Father, I don't know what's going on. Like, I don't know what I'm going to do. I thought I was going to be a researcher, but it's I'm not loving this. And it's funny because he told me, Angela, every time you come talk to me, you always talk about concern for people's souls. Have you ever thought about working for CCO? And that was something that had never crossed my mind. Mm -hmm. So it's true provenance that he was the person who introduced me to the potential of working for CCO full time because Mm -hmm. I wouldn't have imagined that being a possibility. So now, like you said, you're entering into your third year. And of course, here in Vancouver, we're very privileged to have you as part of our region. Like I remember meeting you for the first time at the exec retreat. So I believe that was for the 2017-2018 school year. And I guess over the two years that you have been here, you're entering into your third. How have you seen yourself grow and change? Mm, I think I've learned a lot about how to meet people where they're at. Something that I've learned is that not everyone comes from the same background or same understanding of the Catholic faith. And sometimes meeting people where they're at might not be at my comfort level, but might be at their comfort level. And so I think CCO, in my experience, has taught me to jump out of my comfort zone and really learn to see and seize those opportunities to meet students where they're at and also to, yeah, find those opportunities to do ministry outside of campus, which has been 
pretty remarkable, mm-hmm. I think. One moment that stands out to me is that my first year I had a birthday party. We had a karaoke birthday party, and that event actually allowed someone to join the community because they weren't taking a faith study, but they felt super welcome that they were invited to a birthday party, mm-hmm. um, got to connect to some people they knew, and started getting more involved in the community. And so just finding those opportunities to minister to people outside of campus, outside of a faith study context, is so important, and they might be the most random events ever, but it's really cool. What has been your favorite part of being on campus with Mm. students? Every day is so different. Even though, yeah, we might have campus rhythms, we might have faith studies in different meetings that different faith, like you could have a faith study, the same faith study twice in the same day, and it'll be completely different, Mm -hmm. the discussions you have, or even just the encounters with students that you have during club stays or residence outreach or even just running into students. I've seen students on campus the past two years that I've seen randomly around the, uh, the city. So I, I was walking by the SkyTrain a couple of days ago and I saw a student who was in a face study about two years ago. And I just mm-hmm. waved at her and she recognized my face. And it's, it's pretty cool just to run into people around the city. And there's no, there's no judgment or no, no hard feelings that they, they didn't continue on in the face study. They decided they wanted to do something else. But mm-hmm. it's still that, that connection that we have just the different the different things you can have going on on campus and how you encounter people is what I love about campus ministry. Mm-hmm. In terms of being on campus, of course, you're able to, as a woman, you're able to minister to other young women. You're able to journey with them. And I guess this kind of segues into what I know that you've prepared very well for <laughs> in terms of feminine genius. But I wonder if, like, how have you seen other women develop and grow in their feminine genius through journeying with them? I think something that's really important when thinking about the feminine genius is that a lot of people misunderstand the role of women in the church. But I think something that was really beautifully put by John Paul II is that the feminine genius is actually meant to complement our brothers in Christ. And I think what's been really beautiful on campus, particularly some of the leaders at UBC that I've seen grow in leadership over the past two years is that they've actually understood their identity as children of God first and foremost before taking on that feminine genius. Mm -hmm. Once they know who they are as a person, once they know who they are as a beloved son or daughter, that they actually own that and carry that forward. And from that, it stems forward into the feminine genius. So that's been really cool seeing them rise in leadership in the areas that they're gifted at, but also knowing where their their shortcomings are. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that's really humbling and, and really cool to witness because Sometimes we don't see where that development happens, and it might not necessarily be when I was on campus, but sometimes those moments happen kind of instantly, and you can see there's a difference of before conversion or after conversion in some of these students when they when they kind of understand and they own who they are in, in their identity. So when you say ownership, could you maybe give an example of how someone has come to really like own their identity? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so... Um, We have someone who is coming into our incoming student exec, and they're taking on a more senior leadership position. I think what's really cool is that their position on our student exec at UBC is head of community outreach and being in charge of a lot of social media platforming and running that. And I think what's really beautiful is because this student knows her skills and her talents and her gifts of using social media and being able to communicate very well and relate to people mm-hmm. at, at their level. It's been really amazing to see how she's been able to reach so many other girls and begin to own her talents and her strengths. Mm-hmm. Even thinking about, hey, I'm really good at communication. I would really love to share this in maybe a blog post or a book form or maybe even just give a talk 
And Mm -hmm. so that's been really cool to see how that's progressed from where she first began, maybe not knowing that she had things to say and not knowing her value Mm -hmm. in her gifts, but actually owning that, taking that on and really seeing the beauty that comes from that and using that. Right. And that makes me so happy too, just as a a communications person (laughs) myself. I, I think that this past summer, especially, I've really come to see the importance of good communication and how we need to be intentional with our social media, especially uh, as we, you know, go forth and share the word of God in so many different contexts with all these social media platforms. There's so much noise in the world. So how Mm -hmm. can we just really slide in there and share Jesus in a new way? And I think there's such a need um, on social media and even just in the dialogue today of a lot of media for Catholic voices, for Catholic creatives. And I think it's so beautiful to see the work that people have put into Catholic creative content. I think recently I remember seeing something on the National Catholic Register about them promoting having a grant to pitch ideas for social media platforming and designing. I remember reading that recently. And it was really cool to hear that, wow, the National Catholic Register, one of the top media communication platforms in the U.S., wants to have input from young people on mm-hmm. how to reach them via social media or to have that grant money set yeah. aside to develop and foster media development mm-hmm. in the United States. Mm-hmm. So for you personally, like maybe bringing it back to yourself in terms of your own feminine genius, where have you seen your talents grow and manifest through your missionary work? In terms of the feminine genius, I've had to really learn about how to grow in my own patience mm-hmm. and empathy um, sometimes things that I think, oh, why can't you run 5K? Sometimes some people can't run 5K. And really, I know learning, I can. <laughs> yeah, learning to really grow in that. Like, yeah. okay, like, okay, that that's okay that you can't run 5K. Or it's okay that you don't like drinking coffee and you're a tea person, right? But mm-hmm. just really learning to empathize and really learning to meet people where they're at, but mm-hmm. to not pass judgment has been a, been a huge thing for me in ministry. Just to learn to really be Jesus Christ to other other women that come on campus. And sometimes they just really need people to sit with them and listen. They don't really need advice. They don't need to be talked at, mm-hmm. but they just need someone to listen and to know that they're, there's someone on their side fighting in their corner for them. Mm-hmm. Um, because universities can sometimes be a really daunting place. It can be really lonely or feel that, hey, I'm alone because not people don't understand why I'm Catholic or don't understand my viewpoints. And so having someone be in their corner and supporting them is something that's that's really important and more needed, I think, today than as a Catholic, as a young Catholic woman, than maybe other times. But it's such a beautiful thing that CCO is on campus and able to minister to those uh, those men and women on campus who are going through a time where they're learning about who they are and then going out into the world and, and sharing that with other people and other people in their social spheres. I wanted to ask as well, I know that you had mentioned earlier that while you were going through like high school and then into university, you and your parents had for a time had stopped going to mass. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if you have any advice for um, just people who maybe are in similar situations where other members in their family, whether it's their parents, their siblings or grandparents, maybe at one point church was a focal point or everybody was going together, mm-hmm. but slowly maybe people have stopped going. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know that that can be, or I can imagine it can be very challenging. It can mm-hmm. be very difficult, especially when it comes to really defending your faith. And it's really evident to me that, you know, that was something that you wrestled with for a long time and praise God you know, mm-hmm. God was able to meet you where you were at yeah. and help you to stand firm in your faith. So I was wondering if you could share some 
you know, just some advice on what people can do if they're in a similar situation? Yeah, I think just the openness to invite people. To give context, my dad's not Catholic. Um, so just even inviting, just saying, hey, I'm going to Mass on Sunday. Would you like to come? Not something that's intrusive or talking at the person, mm-hmm. but actually just really inviting them, giving them the opportunity to respond, right? Even in ministry, we have opportunities where we invite students to take a faith study or come to an event, and they have the choice, they have the free will to say yes or no, mm-hmm. to come to an event, to take a faith study. It's the same with Mass. It's really giving them that open invitation, even just inviting them to Christmas Mass or even New, like New Year's Mass or Easter, mm-hmm. but just still praying for them. And like I pray, yeah, definitely praying for them and really just keeping that invitation open. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What would you say is one of your like favorite parts about being able to share the gospel with whether it's yeah like on campus or with your family whenever you have the chance to? Mm-hmm. I think it's being able to see see lives changed on campus. Mm-hmm. I think that's like a really beautiful thing. Um, to see when students understand what it means to put Christ at the center and they go from a from point of before they made that decision and after and then being able to write that out in a faith faith story form or a testimony, mm-hmm. that's been really cool to see. And um, it's such a huge, huge honor and privilege to be part of that if, if I'm part of someone's story um, because it's, I know it's like the Lord working through me. It's not just my own, <laughs> mm-hmm. my own strengths and my own, my own work. Um, I guess with my family, it's really showing them how how much joy I get from the work that I do. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think it caught, took them a bit of a shock that I decided not to go forward and go into medicine or not continue mm-hmm. with biology. Um, but I remember when I first joined CCO, it was sitting down with them and saying, hey, I actually want to give this a shot and I really mm-hmm. want to do this. Um, and I don't want you to worry about me. I think that's one of the things that parents always worry about is that their their children are provided for. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's been a huge joy to even welcome my parents into that and even explain, hey, I'm, I'm doing this um, this summer or I'm doing this on campus in Vancouver. And just being able to share about that when I do get the chance to call them. And then aside from being on campus too, I know that you we're also in Scotland recently, mm-hmm, yeah. and I was wondering if you could share a little bit about that mission, because I know that even though you were with students, definitely it's a different context because mm-hmm. you were, first of all, in another country, different culture, and the type of ministry that you were doing was a little different from maybe CCO locally, so I'll let you share about that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, for sure. So in uh, Scotland, we went with CCO for a parish-based mission in Aberdeen, which is on the east coast, northeast coast of Scotland. And so Father Keith Herrera, he's the pastor at St. Mary's Cathedral there. What's really cool is after they finished their Alpha program, they were looking for resources to use. And CCO's Faith Study Series is actually one of the resources recommended after people finish the Alpha program. So Father Keith decided, hey, I'm going to order Faith Studies. And that's how we got our connection to go to Scotland. Um, It was really cool because they ran at their parish, they ran Discovery, um, in English and in Spanish with six groups of 24, six groups with 24 people total. <laughs> I had the opportunity to video coach one of the Spanish speaking leaders. I don't speak Spanish, but it was cool because she spoke Spanish and English. So that was really cool to build relationship with parish leadership mm. in that sense. But also, um, yeah, really just minister to the community because I think one of the main goals of our mission was actually to build into 
um, help foster a, a stronger sense of community and help build into the parish leadership. Mm-hmm. Um, we also got the chance to work with um, the school children at St. Oh. Joseph's Primary School because Catholic education ends at P8 or grade 8 equivalent in Scotland. Mm-hmm. So a lot of children don't actually have the opportunity to have Catholic education formation unless they're going to mass or they're in the youth group, their youth mm-hmm. group program at their parish. So a lot of children don't have a touch point beyond that. Yeah, and we also got to do outreach on the streets of Aberdeen um, during an event called Nightlight, also known as Night Fever. Um, And we didn't get a chance to do a lot of university outreach because, unfortunately, a lot of the students were in exam period. Mm. So it was a bit different. There was a lot of parish outreach, a lot of youth outreach and and street outreach. But Mm. it was really cool being able to see all of those different things. Mm. Yeah. And how receptive were the Scottish folks out there, would you say? (laughs) Something that's really interesting about Scotland um, is that it's Catholicism was illegal um, for oh. about 400 years after the Reformation. So I think the Reformation, I could be wrong, um, but it was... And we'll fact check. <laughs> I think it was 1536 was the start of the Scottish Reformation. Mm-hmm. I could be wrong, but um, I know that um, Catholicism was illegal for 400 years. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, the Church of Scotland is the predominant church there. And I think what was really heartbreaking was that on the street closest to the cathedral, because the cathedral is just off the main street, there were about two or three churches along that route. Mm-hmm. Um, one church had been converted into an office building that was released. One, cur- one church was converted into uh, like a bar or like a pub. And another church was converted into a casino. So it was pretty shocking, but it was something that's normal that's been happening in Scotland. Um mm-hmm. But I think people on the street during um, Night Fever Outreach, people are apathetic about the faith. Aberdeen's one of the oil capitals of Europe. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of people move there for jobs. So they're very materially wealthy, but spiritually broken or maybe spiritually not fed. Mm-hmm. And so something we've realized, a lot of people on the street during outreach would be apathetic. They maybe look away. But um, the people that did come in were open. They were willing to at least light a candle, whether or not they believed it or not, or they were open to it. Mm. But it was still a beautiful opportunity to see people come into the cathedral. And the first weekend we did Nightlight was actually the was actually Pride weekend, mm. I think. Or there's a Pride festival in Aberdeen. Mm. So we had people coming in with glitter on their faces. or But it was cool because we had 70 people light candles. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was a really cool opportunity to do outreach because it's not a typical group we'd be around. But also our outreach tended to be around bars in the area on the main street. Uh, so that was really cool to see that and have the opportunity to outreach to mm-hmm. people in those environments. Right. Especially since I think for a lot of those people, maybe they've never just had that type of interaction before, just given like I didn't know about the historical context and the Scottish Reformation, which, according to Lord Google, was it started 1560. Oh, OK. So... I was off by 30 years. OK. <laughs> oh, not good. Bad. Not bad. Not bad. But having said that, given the historical context I'm sure this is very, it was a very different experience for people who may usually like, you know, spend their entire like days or evenings there. And then Mm -hmm. all of a sudden like, oh, what's this? What's going on? And Mm -hmm. it's definitely culturally very different Mm -hmm. for them. I think also Scottish people are very honest. So one really beautiful moment we had on our mission was that um, we had a adoration night for our final night of youth group. So we helped run their youth group programming while we were there. And so our final Friday we were there, we had an adoration night and one of the students um, invited, yeah, one of the missionary students invited the youth group 
participants, there are about 65 of them, mm-hmm. to go up and grab a candle and light it at the front. And it was almost like ad- antelope running to a watering hole. They all kind of ran out of the pews to the table with the candles in the center wow. of the church and just ran to the front. Um, so we were all kind of shocked, but it was really cool as a lady was telling us that, yeah, people in probably 85% of those of those kids uh, were honestly wanted to put Jesus at the center of their life. Wow. Not just because, oh, it's fire, like we can play with fire, we can light something, but actually they genuinely wanted that. And mm-hmm. so that honesty of Scottish culture is something I appreciate because there's no facade. Mm-hmm. If they really want Jesus at the center of their life, they're going to make that effort to do it, mm-hmm. even if it might not seem cool or in in fashion, but that they had that willingness to go forward was really beautiful. So nice to hear. Yeah. Because I think especially you you mentioned like, oh, it might not be cool or it might not be in fashion. And like, I find that with kids nowadays, especially here, I maybe other parts of the world as well, but definitely here, a lot of kids sometimes they like look around and say, okay, are my friends doing it? Will mm-hmm. I be ostracized if I do something like that? And Sometimes if there's like any glimmer of, yes, I could be ostracized, therefore I'm not going to do it. Mm -hmm. And I feel like faith, religion, putting Jesus at the center of your life can sometimes fall into that. Mm -hmm. So I can really appreciate that. Yeah. Scottish children. (laughs) Yeah. And I think what's really something I always come back to is I've told students that um, are involved in CC or even take faith studies that sometimes living like the practicing Catholic life is not easy. Um, Mm -hmm. It's not meant to be easy because... There will always be, (laughs) this is a phrase that I used one time that always comes back to haunt me, but there will always be haters. (laughs) Um, There will always be people that won't agree necessarily with your views, but also to live the Catholic life is not something that's easy, Mm -hmm. but it's sometimes so worth it. We might not see the end result right now, Mm -hmm. but sometimes it's so worth it and it brings so much joy and peace and freedom that can't necessarily be explained by um, what the world sells happiness um yeah and I think maybe just to jump off of that and close definitely that can really come to a head when we talk about femininity in a secular standpoint Mm -hmm. um just talking about what it means to be a woman in this world and what might make us truly happy and in terms of um just like being able to live out a catholic life that is really free and just embracing total femininity. I was wondering if you could offer some thoughts on Mm -hmm. that. Yeah, Yeah, for sure. Um, I think to be a woman in today's culture, I know the world says a lot about being like a strong woman, being a strong, independent woman who doesn't need no man. Um, Like, I think, yes, that's that is beautiful. And I think that when we think about the feminist movement, Um, The beginning of the feminist movement, when you look at first wave feminism, actually touches upon the right for women to vote, the suffragist movement. So that is actually good. If you if you believe in that, that the women have the right to vote, then actually, yes, you're a supporter of feminism. But I think one of the dangers of feminism has become the third wave feminism, which is more like the alt, Mm. um, the radical feminism of people burning things and just being crazy and shouting obscenities. But actually, when you think about feminism, Feminism is actually owning the characters that women have. Women have an intuitive ability to to empathize, to care, to listen, to listen very deeply and to emote very deeply sometimes as well. And I think it's a beautiful thing. It's not a sign of weakness. It's actually a huge gift. Mm -hmm. And I think it's a huge discredit to 
women if we push that aside and we say hey we need to be like men and we need to do all these masculine things but Mm -hmm. yeah that that could be great but if we don't actually use the gifts that we have the strengths and talents that we have as women which are unique that men might not have um, it actually does a disservice to what we've been given Mm -hmm. um uh, as as women by god there was something i came across when i was like thinking about the term feminine genius that you cheekingly cheekily pointed out with me preparing. But I remember listening to a presentation and they broke down the feminine genius into these 10 points. They broke mm-hmm. down the feminine genius into strength, beauty, intuition, sensitivity, fidelity, maternity, generosity, self-giving, acceptance, and receptivity. And I think what's really beautiful is that it doesn't say that to be a woman, you need to be meek and hide and Mm. Um, like actually no, like we're strong in in how we are as women, but also that that opportunity to listen, to be able to understand, hey, something's wrong in this situation, mm-hmm. or to even have that generosity, that self giving, particularly when a woman is pregnant and actually giving of her body to sacrifice for her baby, mm. um, but also that receptivity of hey, something's something's wrong, but like I want to I want to sit down and talk to you mm-hmm. and really just be receptive and be there for you. Um, or even just like, hey, we just need to have like a, a t- time on the phone where we just talk it out mm-hmm. and just talk out all the things that are happening in our life, whether we like them or not. Um, but just to have those opportunities, those spaces to to have fellowship. Yeah, to find those people in our lives that can be those women in our lives that we can we can run to when things are going wrong or when things are going really well. Thanks again to Angela Wong for joining us on the podcast today. To learn more about CCO, you can find them at cco.ca. I left a link in the show notes. Thanks for listening, friends. To stay up to date on the latest episodes of the Feminine Genius Podcast, you can follow us on social media at FemGeniusPod. As well, you can listen and download this episode and previous episodes of the show on any podcast platform that you usually listen with. Finally, for news, announcements, and other cool things, you can check out our website, FeminineGeniusPodcast.com. Talk to you next week, and God bless you always.